Well, I'm grateful for the opportunity to uh, speak tonight. Usually I get to see teenagers all day on Sunday, so it's nice to see some adults in this church. I didn't know anybody over age 18 went to this church anymore, but uh, I'm glad to see there are still some adults in here. This time of year is, a, is an interesting time of the year. I don't know if you find yourself getting reflective of the, it's the end of the year, how this year has gone, what next year is going to look like, and uh, note to self, don't ever do that again. Um, those things that you do in life that you look at and you think, man, I, I hope next year is a better year than you, this year was. Uh, sometimes it's because of things that you've done. Sometimes it's because of health uh, in your life. Sometimes it's family situation. Sometimes it's just getting through a phase. Uh, those of you who have young kids and they're just turned two this year, and you're like, I hope that three is a whole lot better than two because two was horrible. They call it the terrible twos for a reason. But you just get reflective. And uh, as I was thinking today, I remembered a picture that for some reason Facebook thought I would want to remember. Uh, sometimes, don't you find yourself cursing Facebook? It brings up these memories like, we thought you'd want to remember this. No, I don't want to remember that. And chucking your phone across the room, and uh, then you realize you just threw a $300 phone into the wall, and so you need to go buy a new phone now. Um, so thank you, Facebook, again. Um, but you find yourself on Facebook and, and different social media, and it brings back these memories of things that, you, uh, that, that, you've, that you've had in the past. And so I wanted to show you a picture of a memory that I had, and uh, this, is, this is my grandfather that's in the wheelchair. And uh, my grandfather, he turned 100 years old this past May. And uh, so a couple of years ago, we asked him, uh, he was, he's a World War II veteran, he served in uh, the European front uh, under Patton, and he was the major in charge of the motor pool. And so he, is, he was one of the ones that was in charge of making sure all the machinery ran. And uh, so just listening to him, and he didn't talk about World War II very often, but uh, in these later years, he's begun to talk more. And so we asked him uh, one day, Grandpa, you ever been to uh, Washington, D.C.? And he said, no. He said, never been there. And I said, well, I take that back. I went through, passed through one time, never stopped. And uh, so my brother and my dad and, and I, we thought, wouldn't it be awesome to take my grandfather, a World War II vet, to the World War II memorial at Washington, D.C., and just, just the intersection of events in life would, uh, maybe it would create something that would be interesting or exciting, and just to hear Grandpa's thoughts on World War II and the memorial and all these kinds of things. So we took Grandpa, and uh, as we were walking through, this gentleman came walking up to my grandfather, and uh, you can see that his right leg is a prosthetic leg. And uh, he came up to my grandfather and he said, did you serve in, uh, in World War II? And uh, he said, yes, I did. And that man, uh, he said, and thank you for your service. And just that whole event, uh, having my grandfather there in the World War II memorial, and he would, we'd go around it and he would talk about the different things. And if you've ever been there, it's really kind of a sombering experience to go and to, to see. But then when you take somebody who is in World War II and he begins talking about the events, and I remember uh, that 
that battle there or that um, that time and and I yeah I was there when that happened and uh, just listening to him it, it just created this this memory and this time slot for my grandfather to talk to me and to talk to my son and pass on information that I don't know we would ever have gotten out of him had we not been at the memorial for World War II. And that got me thinking. As we're coming to the end of the year and as we're looking back at the year, my question for you tonight is, what memorials are you building in your life to pass on to the next generation? You see, in, in life, sometimes we build memorials that are big memorials, stone and concrete and marble. Sometimes it's a memorial that is uh, a book. This book was, is the um, autobiography or the biography of D.L. Moody. He had his son write it, and it was written in 18, I'm sorry, 1900. And uh, for those of you who are uh, book fanatics, I have sticky tabs in my book uh, that's 116 years old, and you're probably freaking out right now. But uh, I, I read through this book, and this memorial that was written by a son about a father, this memorial spoke deeply to me. And I don't know that any of you wrote biographies this year or autobiographies or built temples or, or monuments made out of stone and concrete. But I want to ask you, are you building a memorial to pass on information to the next generation? And what I want to do is I want to look at the book of Joshua today, tonight, and I want you to, to look at just a couple of thoughts as we go through here. So Joshua chapter number three is where we're going to start. And I don't think anybody ever sets out to build a memorial of their life. I think if you start out your life saying, I'm going to build something of myself, I don't think you very, I think you very rarely get there. I think that it's just a matter of slowly taking steps day by day and working at and trying to become everything that God has for us. God does not lay out for you the big picture of your life. God gives you little glimpses of the next step that he wants for us to take. And so as we take that next step, then all of a sudden we see that there's another step there for us to take. I mean, imagine if God laid out for you your entire life in a book form when you were born. You turn 16 and your parents say, all right, here's what you're going to do. And you open up that book, I think that we would be overwhelmed by the fact that I've got to go through all of this. I've got to go through that heartache and that heartbreak, and we would begin to attempt to manipulate and to change our destiny, change our future, because we don't want to go through those events and those circumstances that God will bring into our life to build us and mold us and make us. But in Joshua chapter 3, in verse number uh, 3, it says, And they commanded the people, saying, When ye see the ark of the covenant of the Lord, your God, and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then ye shall remove from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it about 2,000 cubits by measure. And I began to think, what's a cubit? And so I just Googled it. I didn't want to do the mathematics. I just said, what's a cubit? How big is 
2,000 cubits. It's about a half a mile. Now, I remember as a kid, my, my parents would say, stay close to me. That, 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 that did not mean a half a mile behind them. That meant stay right here. Joshua told the children of Israel, we're going to see the Ark of the Covenant go by, and I want you to follow it, but stay a half a mile away from it. Now, why do you think that God wanted them to stay a half a mile away from the Ark of the Covenant? When something is that far away, and you have to focus so hard on where it's going, you really stay in tune with it, or you might miss a movement that it has made. You know, God wants us to stay so in tune with him that God does not give us a roadmap for us to follow. God is like a GPS in your, in your car, the GPS on your phone, where it says, take the next right. Well, you can go through the listing of things and see what it's, where you're going, but until you take that right, it doesn't tell you what to do next. And sometimes it doesn't tell you to the last second, get in the left lane. Oh, man, I'm over and, you know, cut everybody off getting in the left lane. Exit now. God does that thing with us, and God says, stay, stay in tune with me. You know, sometimes we get used to God leading us. And I know it sounds callous, but we live our life in such a way that we really don't need God. It's only in times of difficulty, in times of problems, in times where if we have testimony time, I want to praise the Lord for my salvation. Do you have anything else you want to praise God for? I know salvation is big, but what's God doing in your life today? And we stay so in tune, God wants us to stay so in tune with him that he is a way off and we have to watch him carefully to make sure we're getting where he wants us to go. You know, God wants us to get where he wants us to go, more than we want to get where, we want, where he wants us to go. He wants us to get there more. And so we have to stay in tune with him. And you see that in the next verse, verse number uh, five, and Joshua said unto the people, sanctify yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. God did not say to Joshua, Joshua, tomorrow I'm going to do wonders amongst the people. Joshua had such an anticipation about what God was going to do that he told the people, he said, God's going to move and you watch. Aren't you excited to see what God's going to do this next year? I'm excited to see it. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know anything major is going to happen, but I'm just waiting for those little movements of God that we can see and we can come, out, come in align with and we can see that God is doing something great. If you got up every morning and you said, hey kids, guess what? I want you to look carefully to see what God's going to do today. Your kids get up every morning wondering what the elf on the shelf has done. Because we create an anticipation and excitement about what the elf on the shelf is going to do tonight. And what do we do? We get creative. We have the little G.I. Joe standing there with with Elf on the Shelf with his hands bound behind his back and, you know, and then the, the toilet paper all unraveled that the Elf on the Shelf unraveled all the toilet paper and the G.I. Joes came and got him and they caught him. We get creative. But when it comes to our Christian lives, we say to our children, we say to our grandchildren, trust God, love God. But imagine if you came to your kids, you called your grandkids and you said, hey, hey, I can't 
wait to see what God is going to do tomorrow. But my grandkids might think that I'm nuts. But they just might begin to look and see what God's going to do tomorrow. They just might get excited. I think that the children of Israel didn't sit back and go, you know, that Joshua's nuts. What is he talking about? No, I think that, that the children of Israel looked at Joshua and said, what's he talking about? I don't know. But he said, look. He said, watch. He said, see what God is going to do. And so what did the children of Israel do? They began to look and see what God was going to do. And they got excited about the fact that God was going to do a great work. I have an idea that God wants to do a great work with this church. I have an idea that God wants to do a great work with you in your life and in your homes and in your families and in your communities. But we have to begin to look and see what does God want to do and how can I get involved and how can I show to the people around me that God is going to do a great work and get excited about the fact that God wants to do something. In verses 6 through 15, Joshua told the people that when the Ark of the Covenant, when those priests' feet stand in the Jordan River, that the water is going to stop and we're going to go across on dry ground. And so the children of Israel, with great anticipation, they walked towards the Jordan River, and the priests, as they carried the Ark of the Covenant, they stood in the Jordan River, and it said that the water stopped and backed up on a heap. I would have loved to seen that, to see that river stop and the water just pile up. I think that would have been something to go by and see the, animal, the fish that are staring at the edge of the water just looking at you like, what are you doing in the river? To see the children of Israel, the little kids walking by, sticking their finger in the water. Parents, stop that, it's going to leak. These children of Israel saw God do something miraculous. And I want you to see that in verse number 15, and they came, and as they that bear the ark were come into Jordan, and the feet of the priests that bear the ark were dipped in the brim of the water, for Jordan overfloweth all its banks at the time of the harvest. Now this is really important. And the reason that it's important is this, is that the river Jordan at this time had overflown its banks. It was the time of the harvest. The water was flowing, and the river was wide. You know, God never asks us to do something when it's easy. Imagine if the water had been very small and the children of Israel could have waded across it themselves. They would have said, God did this? No, this is just what happens. But when the river is overflowing and it's impossible to cross that river and they look at it and they say, there's no way it's gonna happen and all of a sudden the river stops and they walk across, God had to make sure that he knew that the children of Israel knew that the water was impossible for them to cross if he hadn't have made a way. And when God's going to do something in your life, the circumstances are going to look impossible. When God is going to get you to do something in your community, the challenge is going to be impossible. And you're going to look at it and you're going to say, there's no way that I can do it. And God's going to say, there's, that's right, there is no way that you can do this. I have to help you. You have to depend upon me. And God wants us to become fully depend, be dependent upon him. In chapter number four, and here's where I want to look at uh, for the next couple of minutes. 
And it came to pass when all the people were clean passed over the Jordan that the Lord spake unto Joshua saying, take you 12 men out of the tribe, one out of every tribe a man. And command ye them saying, take you hence out of the midst of Jordan, out of the place where the priest's feet stood firm, 12 stones, and ye shall carry them over with you and leave them in the lodging place where ye shall lodge this night. And Joshua called the 12 men whom he had prepared of the children of Israel out of every man, every tribe a man. And Joshua said unto them, pass over before the ark of the Lord, your God in the midst of the Jordan, take ye up every man of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of tribes of the children of Israel. And so what's happening here is that the children of Israel, they're walking across the river. It's dry ground. And Joshua says, I want 12 men, one from each tribe to pick up a stone from the middle of the river. Now, if you ever want to have something built that is big, just get 12 men involved. Because I'm sure as they walked through and Joshua said, all right, why don't you pick up a stone? One guy probably went, bent down, picked up a stone. And the guy behind him said, that ain't no stone. This is a stone. And the guy behind him said, that's not a stone, that's a pebble. This is a stone. And by the time they got to the, to outside the river, these guys were carrying boulders that they could barely pick up trying to get him across the river, and they got to the other side of the river, and Joshua said, you're going to take these stones and you're going to build an altar for a time to come. These 12 men, the children of Israel, they crossed the river, they carried these stones. God, Joshua, had prepared these men to carry them. If God's going to get you to do something, he's going to prepare you to do that thing. Oftentimes we think that God's going to use our strengths to serve him. I heard Tim singing, and I thought, let's hear that again. That's great. When God gives you talents and abilities, we are to use them for him. And I'm glad that Tim can sing, because if we had some of us get up here and sing that same special, we'd say, please stop. Don't sing anymore. That was very special. Don't do it anymore. But Tim has a talent and ability, and he can use that. But we all have talents and abilities, and I would say that in the times when we use the giftings that we have, our reliance upon God is small. It's when somebody asks you to step outside your comfort zone. That's when you go to God and say, God, I can't do this. And God says, you're right, you can't. Let me help you. And God will prepare you for the task that he has given, for, given to you. Joshua prepared these 12 men to pick up these boulders and carry them to the other side. And it's important why they did this. In verse number eight, and the children of Israel did so as Joshua commanded and took up 12 stones out of the midst of the Jordan as the Lord spake unto Joshua according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel and carried them over with them unto the place where they lodged and laid them down there. And I want you to turn and look at verse number 23. Why did they build this altar? Why did they build it? Was it just for people to say, I'm the one that carried the stone across the river? Was it just so they could say that was a reminder of when we crossed the river? No, there was a specific purpose why they built a temp, uh, a, an altar on the other side of the river in Gilgal. There was a reason. And God has us in this society, and, and for, for you who don't have young kids, it'll be a little more difficult for you to grasp this. My grandfather, he had a lawnmower. 
All of my life, he had one lawnmower. That's it. He had one lawnmower. He got me to mow his lawn, and in his yard, he had these huge trees, and the roots grew out of the ground where these trees were. And he, he took me out, and he showed me how to mow the lawn so I didn't hit the roots. Now, as a seventh grade boy, do you think I was paying attention? No. I knew how to mow the lawn. What did I need Grandpa to show me how to mow the lawn for? So I get out there, I'm pushing lawn, and all of a sudden, and here comes Grandpa around the end of the garage. Hit a root, didn't you? Yeah. He took the lawnmower in to the garage, pulled off the blade, bent the blade out, sharpened it back up, put it back on, sent me back out with a lawnmower, said, now, let me show you how to do it again. Grandpa cared about his stuff. He had the same lawnmower. My grandfather drove the same truck. I only remember him having one truck. My grandfather lived in the same house. My grandfather had, I mean, he had, when Atari came out, my grandfather bought an Atari. The joysticks, the one button, the cartridge that you had to blow into in order for it to work. Grandpa had the Atari. And Grandpa said, all right, when we'd go over, he'd say, you want to play the Atari? We're like, yeah, we don't have video games at our house. So he'd get the Atari out. He'd say, you get one game. So you'd play one game of Pac-Man, hoping Grandpa would leave the room. He didn't. He waited for that game to end. He said, all right, put it away. For years, Grandpa had the same Atari game. It was in the same box. It was in perfect condition. The styrofoam was not even broken. This generation is an instant, throw-it-away, disposable generation. There's a generation that built monuments. As you travel the country, you see uh, Stone Mountain in Georgia. You see uh, the monuments in Washington, D.C. You see all of these things that are beautiful, created things by men to represent things that had happened in the past. And today's generation, those things are, why would I want to go look at a mountain made of stone? Aren't they all? Why would I go look at a building? I can Google it. The monuments don't mean as much to that generation. There's not a link and a tie. And so what do we do as parents? And we find this in our lives, that, and, and I am as guilty as anybody, in that a home, uh, some people have lived in the same home all their life. My kids haven't. They've moved from house to house. And some of it's good. Sometimes you're upgrading. And that's good. But we've, we're in a generation where we, we lease cars, we rent houses, we take fast food, we don't, I mean, all this stuff is just an instant gratification society, and as a result, the long-term taking care of and the memories tied to all of this stuff is not there. And so this, this generation in Israel, they built a monument, they built an altar, and that altar had meaning. And in our lives, we do things, and we don't tie meaning into the things that we do. We give our, we give our kids things. We, uh, I mean, taking, even taking pictures. I still have rolls of film that are undeveloped that I found when we moved. I have no idea what's on that film. If you talk to kids today about getting film developed, they look at you like, what are you talking about? What do you mean? I just take my USB, plug it in at Walmart, and it prints out the picture. I don't know what you, you know, we had to wait weeks for our pictures to come back to find out that we took pictures of the floor. <laughs> Life has changed. But we have to be careful 
that words mean something. To teach your children, teach your grandchildren that words mean something. You say a certain word to a certain generation and they look at you like you've just cursed God. But this generation has no idea what you're talking about. I mean, I remember growing up, there were people that were against jean jackets. Don't wear jean jackets. It represented a culture that was a rebellious culture in the 50s, I guess. But they were like, oh, no, you can't have a jean jacket. That's wicked. What? That means nothing to me. Because in a generation, there are things that happen, but it's important for us to teach our kids and teach our families that words mean something, places mean something. This is a church. I grew up as a pastor's kid in church. In the church kitchen, if it was in the church kitchen, it was basically my kitchen, so I could eat whatever was there. So if you left something in the church kitchen, I got to eat it. Thank you for bringing your stuff. People wonder, what happened to the stuff that was in the fridge? I ate it. I, I mean, it was in my kitchen. I grew up at the church. I know what it's like to, to be here. I know what the place is. I used to run around and have people grab me by the ear and say, don't run in church. Don't stand on the pews until you need the chair to you know, reach something, and then you stand on the pew and tell your kids not to stand on the pew. I, I understand what it's, but you know what? This place, it should represent something. Not that it's extra special because when we're not here, this is just a building. When we show up, the church is here. But we ought to take care of this place and teach our kids to take care of this place. And they don't walk around, hopefully they don't walk around your home eating candy and dropping wrappers on the floor. And they shouldn't do that in church either. We ought to teach them that it means something. And this altar that God had them built meant something. Look at verse number 23 of chapter number four. For the Lord, well, I'm sorry, back up to 20. Let's read down to it. And those 12 stones which they took out of Jordan did Joshua pitch in Gilgal. And he spake unto the children of Israel, saying, When your children shall ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What mean these stones? So when you take your generations back by this area and they see your grandkids, your kids, they see these stones and they say, Dad, what's this pile of rocks here? That you tell them, verse number then you shall, verse 22, then you shall let your children know, saying, Israel came over this Jordan on dry land, for the Lord your God dried up the waters of Jordan, that you can teach your kids that God will make a way. When it seems impossible, God will make a way. When you get to a place in your life where you think things are impossible, that's when you need to have an altar that you have built in years past that you can go back to that altar and you can see and you can tell those people that are going through the difficult time that God will make a way. How do you know God will make a way? Let me show you something. Come here, let me show you this mountain of stones that we put here. Do you know why this mountain of stones is here? Because God made a way when we didn't think that there was any way. When the rivers were overflown, And we didn't think that we were going to get across this Jordan. This pile of rocks represents the fact that God made a way for us. And so now we're facing this difficult time in our family. You know what, kids? God's going to make a way. Dad, how do you know God's going to make a way? Let me tell you about a time where he made a way for me already. When you go through those health struggles, when you go through those changes in life, I mean, I'm looking at the fact that my kid's going off to college. Some of you have been through that. And I look at that and think, how am I going to survive my kids going off to college? 
And I can go back to a time where you can walk with me and you can say, hey, come here. When my kid went off to college, here's the altar that I built. And God made a way. When your children go through difficult times in their life and they struggle and they come to you and they say, Dad, Mom, I don't think I can do this. You can look at them and say, I know it's tough. I know that's a real problem. But let me show you something. Come here. Do you see this right here? I went through a time very similar to that. And when I did, God made a way. And God's going to make a way for you. And it's by taking people to those altars that we've built that we're going to show them that when they're going through a difficult time, that they can make it. Not on their own. They need God's help, but they can make it. But we also see in verse 23, from before you until you were passed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up from before us until we were gone over. Verse 24, that all the people of the earth might know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty. The second reason that they built the altar is to show God's power. Isn't it awesome that we serve a God who is all-powerful? We serve a God that isn't hindered by anything. You have a problem in your life? You know what? God can solve that. Do you have a health issue going on? You know what? God can heal that. You have a problem that you don't know how to handle, a financial situation? God can pay for that. You have a car that you don't know how you're going to get fixed? God can fix that. Do you have a family that you're trying to help and you don't know how to help them? God can help that. God is an all-powerful God. Could you imagine standing there with your kids looking at this pile of rocks next to the river going, hey kids, when I was your age, you're not going to believe this. Kids never like to hear when I was your age stories. I'm finding that out. But when I was your age, you're not going to believe this. But we were on the other side of this river. Yeah? We came across like in a boat or something? No. The priests stepped into the river, and when they stepped in the river, the waters stopped. They backed up, huge pile of water. I don't know how you pile water, but it was a pile of water. Huge pile of water. There was nothing that way, and we walked over on dry ground. And your great uncle Jephthah, he carried this rock right here, right there. That, that was his rock. Are you kidding me? No. When we didn't think that there was a way we were going to get across this river, God provided a way. God is all-powerful. Son, in your life, when you come, a, come up against circumstances that you don't know how you're going to get across, trust God. When you come to a situation you don't know how to handle, trust God. God is an all-powerful, almighty God, trust him. That was the reason for the altar. The third reason for the altar in verse number 24 says, know the hand of the Lord that is mighty, that ye might fear the Lord your God forever. Son, the third reason that we have this pile of rocks is so it reminds us to fear God. God's mind is greater than our mind. 
His ways are greater than our ways. And so when God opens a river, walk across it. But what if I get halfway and the waters come back? Walk across that river, son. But this is a big deal. I know. Go. Go for it. God's providing a way. God is all-powerful. He's providing a way for our church as we face this next year and we see opportunities and challenges and problems come and difficulties and we see opportunities open for us. As a church, we have to trust that God is all-powerful and we look as a new person in this church. I see the monuments all over this place. I think you may walk past them and not even look at them. Pastor talked about the blue room. I never went to church in the blue room. I never went to a service in the blue room. But I look at that blue room and I say, you know what God did in this place right here? God grew this church out of that first auditorium into the second auditorium. God was working here. God was creating a space where people could come in and they could find a Savior who loved them. He was creating a place where those who were hurt and those who were wounded by life could come in and be healed. And people came. And the church grew. And that building sits as a monument to God's power where the church then moved into a gymnasium. And I look at the gymnasium and we may see a place where people play sports, where our school has activities. But I look at a place and I say, that's a monument to what God has done in this place. When the church was trying to figure out, do we start a school, do we not start a school? Do we go for it? There's challenges and difficulties we're facing, but do we, do we move forward with what God has told us to do? The, the sea has moved back, the river has parted. Do we cross it or do we stand back on the other side and say, man, there's just too many problems going forward. I see a church that decided they were gonna move forward for God and cross that river, and today there's a school that my kids go to that stands as a monument to what God has done in this place. And there's monuments all over this place that we look at marriages and we look at families and we see what God has done and they're monuments to what God can do in the future if we recognize and we tell our kids and we show people that God is powerful. You see, God wants us to build memorials to him, but he wants us to build memorials for the next generation to look at and for us to tell how good God is. But my question is, are you building memorials in your life? Are you building memorials in your home to what God has done? This memorial was a memorial for the good things that God did. But I want you to see something because this caught me. This was not the only memorial that was built at this time. There was one more memorial that was built. Yes, there were 12 men that carried these rocks out of the middle of the river. But if you go back to chapter number four and look at verse number nine, it's kind of a parenthesis. It's, it's kind of a just glazed over verse. And Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan in the place where the feet of the priests which bear the Ark of the Covenant stood. And they are there unto this day. You see, the children of Israel built a tower of victory. 
God had done great things and God had provided a way and God had done miracles. And the people were able to take their kids by that pile of rocks and to show them what God had done. But Joshua, on the other side, remember, in verse number 15 of chapter 3, the priests were to walk into the Jordan River on this side. And as soon as they got into the river, they stopped and the waters backed up. The Jordan River had overflown at that point. So the river was wide. The priests barely got into the river and they stopped and they stood and the Jordan River parted and the people crossed and they picked up 12 stones and they took them to Gilgal. But Joshua set up a pillar of stones on this side of the river. Why would he do that? Joshua, you've got a pile of stones that you commanded these guys to pick up out of the river, and they piled the stones over here, and their kids are supposed to walk by and ask what this pile of stones is. But what's that pile of stones for? This is a pile of stones that tells of God's goodness and God's blessing and God's provision. But what is that pile of of stones for? I think that pile of stones was for those times of defeat. You see, the children of Israel, when they crossed over the Jordan River and they got to this side, it was nothing but promise. Every place that the sole of your feet tread, God said, I will give to you. You will defeat, earlier in chapter number three, you'll defeat the Amalekites and the Hazarites and the Babylites and the, all the Gizites and Gizzardites and all those people. You're going to kill them all. And I think the children of Israel, they walked across the river and they came to Jericho and they marched around Jericho and they were excited and they saw the land of promise and all the blessing and all the things that were there. And then they came to Ai. And what happened in Ai? Defeat. You know, in life, sometimes we don't go from victory to victory to victory to victory to victory. Sometimes in life we go to victory to defeat. And it's in those times of defeat that we say, as the children of Israel said, it would be better for us to be slaves in the land of Egypt than to die in this wilderness. And I think that there were people from the children of Israel that when defeat came, came back to that river and thought, I'm going the other side. But they saw the pile of stones that Joshua had piled up. In life, we need to build memorials for the victories that God gives us. But we also need to have memorials for the times of defeat. There was a guy that I knew that um, at work, he got so frustrated at work one day that he came home and he was just steaming. I mean, just steaming. And at home, he was sitting on a, on a stairway in his house and he got up and he was just mad. He got up and he hit the wall. And when he hit the wall, he put his, hand, his fist through the wall. You know, in those moments, you kind of wonder, what is going on here? 
but he took a picture and he put it over the hole that he created with his fist. And he got right, he got his spirit right, everything worked out okay, but every time he got mad, he would go home, he would move that picture, and he'd look at that hole in the wall and say, I'm not going there. Do you ever pull out something that isn't a good memory? And you look at that to remind yourself, I'm not going back. I'm not going back there. Yeah, it may, it may stink right now. Life may not be all victories and blessings and promises, but I'm not going back there. You can take your kids and you can say, let me talk to you for a minute. You know, I see where you're headed. I see what you're doing. I see the decisions you're making. Let me show you something. You've never seen this before. You pull this out and you say, this is a memory of when I was headed the same direction that you're going. And I got defeated. And I made mistakes. And I did stupid stuff. I just want to warn you, don't go back across the river. God has promised for you over here. Don't go there. As this year comes to a close and we start next year, start 2017, let me challenge you to build some memorials in your life. Some altars in your life that you can go to and rejoice over the blessings that God has provided but also some altars that in times of defeat remind you, I'm not going back. I'm not going back. God has been too good on this side of the Jordan.